Let's jump right into the Word this morning and continue our series, Called to be Saints. And you could turn in Romans chapter 1, we'll read that verse there. Verse 7, Romans chapter 1, verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Called to be saints. This is message number four. And what I'd like to address today is what I have shared with you in my email the perils of the sleeping saint. We, as Americans, American Christians, perhaps don't see clearly enough the perils that have been brought upon this country. Alexander Solzhenitsyn is without a doubt the most notable Soviet dissident in the 20th century. A noted historian, novelist, poet, he originally sided with the Marxist communist movement in Russia until he wrote a letter to Stalin, and it didn't go so well, so he wound up in the gulag. And at that point in time, his ideology went back to his childhood, which was his belief in Christ through the Russian Orthodox Church. Here's a man, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who made this statement that I'm going to give to you. He states that when he was a child, he had heard some of the older people, like we would have here, or you have in your pastor, some of the older people discussing what became of Russia, why the disasters came upon that country. And in their discussion that he overheard as a child, the older people were saying, men have forgotten God. Fifty years later, after reading hundreds of books on the fall of the Russian empire or country, Hundreds of personal testimonies of people who suffered at the hands of Russians and 60 million, 60 million people. That's in one country. 60 million people who suffered at the hands of the Russians, many of them executed, or at least some of them executed. Fifty years later, after reading hundreds of books and hundreds of personal testimonies of those who experienced the revolution, saw the changes that happened in their country, he came back to this one succinct statement, having himself written eight volumes on the subject eight books, as a Russian historian, read hundreds of books, read hundreds of letters, and in the end, he said it all boiled down to this one thing, men have forgotten God. If you want to read Solzhenitsyn, go ahead, but I think that he saved us the trouble of going through eight ponderous volumes of history to say one thing, men have forgotten God. And the same is true as we read in the scriptures of all the nations that forget God, the one true God, I mean. And so Sinichin presents to us the situation that we're now facing here in America. The fact that, and I'm enlarging upon his entry, though he makes these arguments in other speeches and so forth, that the church has forgotten Christ. We just sang a song, and I felt it very necessary to amend it. I don't have that right, but sue me. There's not coming a day when everybody's going to say, you are God. There's coming a day when they will say to God the Father, to the glory of God the Father, that Jesus Christ is Lord. The vast difference of how it's phrased in the song and how it reads in the scriptures. And we now here in America have a generation that has forgotten Jesus. Not just God. That's a generic term. That we may say is supplied by the one giving the definition. And I've heard a lot of them. And read a lot of them. But America has forgotten Jesus. Another generation has come up and have forgotten our history. Thankfully, there are those out there, and not all of them Christians, as I sometimes quote from David Harwich. There's others who, though not Christians, are saying, hey, you know what? This is very bad because the foundation of America is Judeo-Christian heritage. Now we have a generation, and not just young people, but older people, who have forgotten God. That every blessing, including what we read in the Declaration of Independence and also the United States Constitution, is predicated upon the fact that individuals are given certain rights, unalienable rights, because they come from God. Not the government, whoever the government is. We are the government, but now that's subject to debate. Once we vote them in, we can't get them out. And how can we get them out if they make the laws? This is coming upon America, present tense, because men have forgotten God. And we see the results in Russia. China, of course, is a different story, religiously. But we see that these things have come upon nations that forget God. We must not forget God. 
One of the troubles that we have in the church and in evangelism is too much emphasis on individuality. Back in the 70s and in the 60s, there was a great emphasis on making Christ your personal savior. We agree with that. But now we've taken it to a whole new level. How often do I hear people say, I can't make it to the service, but I'll be at home. Now, I don't mean when they're sick and all, there's good reasons to be home. Because now we've taken this individualism to a level where really we could have bumper stickers that says it's all about me. The church is not about the individual. It's about the body of Christ. Every finger, every toe, the feet, the hands, the arms, everything is about the body of Christ. So though we are members as individuals, the Bible tells us we are members of one another. So again, Solzhenitsyn gives us a clue as to what we must have in America, and not just a revival. We need a reformation. We need to return to the scriptures and make them all our all-encompassing rule of faith and of practice. I ask the question, is it that the saints themselves are asleep? Keeping in mind, this series is called Called to be Saints. Are they sleeping? Is the church asleep? While we fill up auditoriums with thousands, tens of thousands of people, and while talented, if you forgive me of the term, class A actors, very clever, very smart, can get the crowd to think they're serving Jesus. Without the scriptures, we have no plumb line. We have no guide. We're without a compass. We're lost at sea. We don't know where we're going. On a cloudy day when we can't navigate even by the stars. Men have forgotten God. America has forgotten Jesus. I mentioned to you, are the saints asleep? And in my opinion, yes, they are. It's an opinion. Here's the name of a young man, William Scott. He was a member of the Union Army during the American Civil War. One day, as you know, in combat and in prolonged firefights, men are fatigued. I say men, now it's men and women. But men for me is generic. And he volunteered to take a position on a bridge as a sentinel, as a watch, as a guard. Chain bridge. But unfortunately for William Scott, he fell asleep at his post. Now, as far as I understand the story and as far as I understand history, nothing really came of that. In other words, they weren't attacked. Although we can compare that with the Powley attack or massacre in Powley, Pennsylvania. In 1777, when the British knew the troops would be asleep and attacked them in their sleep. It's a bit different. But this should have been a century somewhere. As we read in the Bible, O watchmen, what of the night? Yet again, we read in the Bible... If the Lord doesn't keep the city, the watchman wakes, but in vain. William Scott fell asleep at his post. He was discovered. He was sentenced to death. But in his defense, it was brought to the president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. And because of the circumstances that he was himself fatigued, trying to relieve a fellow Union soldier who was even more fatigued, Lincoln granted him a presidential pardon. So they brought him to the gallows. And they read the death sentence, then the pardon, and William Scott was set free. A sleeping sentinel is a very, not only obviously dangerous thing to happen to not just the soldier, but the people that he's supposed to wake up. As I said in the Pali Massacre of 1777 in Pennsylvania, when the British troops attacked all sleeping troops, militia, the fact that when sentinels sleep, they cannot alert. They cannot blow the trumpet in Zion. There are so many examples. For instance, the Roman soldiers. Roman law. Roman military law. A soldier is asleep at his post. And what happens? You put everybody in danger because you fell asleep at your post. And much as it is if you fall asleep at the wheel. Because it's not all about you. It's about the other people on the road. And if you're at your post and you are committed to that watch of the night or of the day. You're putting your fellow soldiers at risk. When we look at this here, and we look at what could have happened in the case of William Scott, which didn't, which did happen in the case of the Pali Massacre, whatever happened to the Sentinel, I don't know. But the Romans had severe punishments for soldiers who didn't do their duty. Falling asleep at the post, the leader, centurion, leader of a legion, would take a cudgel, a little club, and all he would do in the presence of all the other soldiers is just touch him. That was to indicate this is the one that fell asleep. And then the soldier would pounce on him. 
and usually beat them to death. I know it's violent, but come on. We live in a society that's nothing but violence, so let's not pretend like these things bother us. Our children are watching violence almost all day long. Our television shows are filled with violence, so let's not pretend that this bothers us when we read about Roman law or the uniform code of military justice, because today it's still a very serious offense to sleep at your post. Now, I'm not asking you to raise your hands, because I know so many of you here, I know almost everybody here, and I know that you know Jesus. But are you awake or are you asleep? Are you standing at your post? Are you saying, oh, what of the day? Are you blowing the trumpet in this time? And I'm saying to you what I truly believe, though it's a matter of, I guess, subject to debate. Many professing Christians are simply asleep. And further, many professing Christians, though they be nice people, though they be our friends and maybe brothers and sisters in Christ as well, or family members, we could easily give them a bumper sticker say, it's all about me. But when you're in a body, and those of you who've served in the military, or those of you who have belonged to any group, it's not about the individual anymore. It's about the welfare of the group. It's not the radical egalitarianism that we now have in America, where if one person on the bus says, I don't want to go, nobody can go. That's what we have now. If one person objects to a prayer at a football game in the name of Jesus, or I guess for that matter, in anybody's, any God's name, we cannot do what they say because one person doesn't want it. That's not only egalitarianism, it's radical egalitarianism. It's bringing the individual to the place of the group when it's the group that matters most. Your family and so on. A church, a local church. I think you're familiar with the expression morte prima di desonore, death before dishonor. Tacitus, before this statement, this saying, Morte prima di desonore became popular. Tacitus said in his time it was already starting to go downhill. And others have adopted it over the years. The Irish Brigade and others. Some have tattoos. Death before dishonor. Yet we live in a time where it's more popular to be dishonorable. And not even entertain the idea of shame. That the corpuscles under the skin can't even be brought to the skin to blush anymore at the things that are being done. And not just in the world, but inside the church. By sleeping saints who love the fact that they have an assurance but have no sense of duty. I slept and dreamt the life was beauty. I awoke and found the life was duty because we have an obligation to each other. You say you're an American, I know that you are. You have an obligation to your fellow Americans in one way or the other to say our country, whose motto is in God we trust has forgotten God in the halls of Congress and in our Senate. God is forgotten. A man can get up, and I don't know how he could have said something seriously a few months back, a congressman swearing in another congressman who has ministerial credentials. A man and a woman. Now, whatever place that has in discussing gender equality, I'll let that go. But that has no place in this Bible. The word amen obviously does not mean a man. It means, so be it. And now we've taken not only morality and the Bible and spirituality, but we've taken our intellects to the point of ridiculousness, to absurdity. A man and a woman. Was he supposed to be funny? Was he playing us? Is this the future of America? It's not my future. We have brought this thing to a place, again, to quote Solzhenitsyn, and we have forgotten God. Remember, the third commandment is, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. No minister, no congressman, nobody's at liberty to play with God, play with his words. Well, you say it's a small word, it's a simple word, amen. But you don't connect it in that way. We don't connect it that way. I know that you're becoming familiar with the term cancel culture. And every day there's a new installment. I don't know, to be honest with you, at the moment how relevant that is to the real need that America has forgotten Jesus. But I just mention it because I truly believe it is a result of the fact that America has forgotten Jesus. I mean, we have seen in the last year or two, and this is just a small definition, just a few small examples. Well, Gone with the Wind can't be shown. I mean, they won't show it. The show Cops has been taken off of the air because of its message. Elmer Fudd, it's history. I brought to you Mr. Potato Head. 
And now, this week in Manhattan, Grace Church, remember the Episcopal Church, back in September 2020, they wrote a book for their teachers. They have 700 students, it's a private school. Telling them to no longer use with their students the terms mom and dad, or parent, because that's a presumptuous term on the part of the teachers and staff and so on with respect to the children they're teaching. Oddly enough, I partly agree with that. I really do. But how did we get to a place where there's so many children that don't know who their father is or their mother? How did we get there? America has forgotten Jesus. And what's worse? What's worse than America forgetting Jesus is that the preachers have forgotten Jesus. They have made him into some image that, again, begs the description, depending on what preacher you're talking about, forming Jesus into their own image when we need to hear these four words, thus saith the Lord. Now, you know my opinion, but I'm not alone. If your children or your grandchildren have any chance at all that we don't become another Russia, or I could throw in China as well, but let's look at Russia and keep with that example, or the other countries in Europe that were once called Christian countries, if your children or grandchildren have any chance at all, it is you that has to be the one that says, I will pay any price, I will do anything, but I will not fail in my duty or sleep at my post for the sake of convenience, because any intellect can figure out we are not headed in the right direction in this country. And now we're in a position where we have to stand up and be counted. Let me say it to you this way. We not only have to make the right friends, we're going to need to make the right enemies. You see, many tribes throughout history measured themselves, the strength of their tribe, by who their enemies were. I knew a man who was in spec ops for five decades. It's a long time. It was before spec ops was spec ops. And he had an issue with a politician. He himself got into politics. And he quoted that. He said, they say that the measure of a man is who his enemies are. And in this discussion that he had with this other man, he says, and you, sir, do me no justice. We not only have to make the right friends, but in the course of our living, and I'm not advocating going out to make enemies. I'm just saying you need to make the right enemies. We have to stop caring what people think and do what's right in the sight of God in the hopes that God will bring a reformation to the church and first to the pastors. Because the price, as I've told you before, is we're called to be saints is high. And the calling is high. But who's going to be the one to say, here my Lord, send me. Who is going to be the one that says, even though this is inconvenient for me, and I like my comfort and I like my ease, will say, but that is secondary to my duty in speaking in the name of Jesus. We need not only to make the right friends. We need to make the right enemies. One of the things I failed to see over the years was that I did make the right enemies. Some of the right on my own staff. Not now. And that's all right with me. That's all right with me. I know where I'm going. And if someone says, well, you know, well, you're not going to hold me back. You're not going to stop me. If I make a decision in prayer and over the word of God, I am going forward. Faithful and forward. Why? Because this preacher here wants to make his life count. I know that most of my life is over. Maybe more over than I'm aware of. I don't know. I don't know. I'm believing God for many more years. But that's only so I can fight, not fish. Now, I'm not saying you can't fish. Go fish and have a fish. <laughs> I'm looking to train to fight. I want to be a champion. I want to be a David that goes on the field when no one else will go. For fear of his size, maybe the depth of his voice and his intrepid appearance and the fact that he was a warrior since he was a child and he's huge while all the brave soldiers quiver in the trenches it's a little boy with a basket of bread for his brothers and i guess whoever else saying you guys want some food you want some food hey who is this guy who is this that defies the armies of the living god Amen. who are you yes. Yes. who are you that defies the armies of the living god yes. Now his brothers reprimanded him. See, in a sense, we can call them enemies. They're not really enemies. But they're trying to hold David back. We know what you're after. You're after the glory. I told you someone just recently called me a glory hound. This is what I think of that. You're Italian. 
Keep your opinion to yourself because I really don't care much what you think about me. I'm only trying to do what's right in the sight of God. And here's this young boy who has enough faith to say, who is he? Well, I'm certain there was probably more of a description given about Goliath than what we read in the story itself. But he says, this uncircumcised Philistine, he doesn't have God. We have God. So he requests of Saul, who himself wasn't going anywhere. No one was going anywhere. The problem is too big. I don't know that they were ready to strike up a compromise, but that probably would have been next. Let's negotiate this. At the price of the nation. And so David, as you know the story, he says, let me go. And they try to put on Saul's armor. Well, it doesn't fit. And you can't fit into somebody else's gifts and talents any more than I can fit into yours. I must do what I am called to do. And this is it. Preach, pray, study, and whatever else goes along with the pastorate. That's what I'm called to do. And he goes on the field of battle. He's a little boy. He's such a little boy. And so, remember, he was kind of a rosy-cheeked. I mean, he doesn't even look like a man. Of course, he's a boy anyway, but he's not even like rugged looking. But he stands in front of this giant. He's just a kid. And he said, you come to me with a sword and you come to me with a spear and you come to me with a shield. But I come unto you in the name of the Lord of hosts. After he told me, he says, what is this? A dog you've sent? I'm going to cut your head off. He says, today, I will have your head in my hand. And then we forward the story. He has five stones from the brook. And he slings one right into the midst of his head. And how did he do it? For strength? No. For size? No. For experience? No. But by faith in the God who is watching every single one of us. We must not forget our God who said, as Jonathan said, It doesn't matter with God whether it's many or few. It's the Lord that saves. We look for the big preacher, the big name, the big church. They'll get it done. Guess what? They're not. And it may just be the little guys. Again, that's gender neutral. It may just be the little ones, the little people. that get the job done and say, he's uncircumcised, metaphorically. He doesn't know our God, literally. And we do. It's interesting that after the defeat of Goliath, all the soldiers, experienced soldiers, got up out of the trenches and said, let's fight. And I don't really make fun of them because sometimes it takes that one person to step out. That one person, like Mordecai. Everybody's bowing the knee and this is what they're saying. God knows my heart. The same thing Pastor Ray hears over and over again. Well, God knows my heart. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. We need that one person that will stand out and say, here my Lord. Send me. And Isaiah had no idea if there was anybody else going with them. For that matter, either did Samuel or Elijah, rather. Well, Samuel too. So many of these imposing figures of the Bible stood alone. Do you think that's easy? Do you think it's easy when Elijah is standing there on Mount Carmel and he thinks he's the only one? The Lord says, I got 7,000 that haven't bent the knee. I always say this. If I was there, I would have said, you do? Where are they? And where were they? Where were they? Well, God is encouraging Elijah, who fell into a fit of depression, which happens to us as well. But Elijah didn't back down from his duty. I'm putting this out there. I think the other 7,000 did. Because it should have been 7,001 people on Mount Carmel. And it wasn't. And sometimes this is a test. Sometimes God already knows what he's got. Same thing happened with Gideon. I think we can go on and on. Because God is, I use the word anxious, God is anxious to show that he's the one, he's strong, whether it's with many or few, when people stand up for God, for Christ, in the right spirit, God shows himself strong. You see, the people in power in our country really think they're in power. But Jesus stands before Pilate. He says, you would have no power, not even to breathe, if my father hadn't given it to you. So they actually really think they're in power because they make a little decision and it happens. They make a little decision and it happens. When, when God steps in, <laughs> as, as simple as it is with a wind and blow a few trees down, people realize right away we're not in control. And we never have been other than over our personal lives and personal decisions, our own thoughts, words, and deeds. America has forgotten God. And so we're in the cancel culture. So many have already been on their way out. Pepe Le Pew. Can't say mom and dad. Well, at least in one school. 
And there's so many, because I read you know, social media the same as you, or some of you, and I see that it's irritating and frustrating to Americans, but Americans have forgotten God. This isn't going to stop. It's likely to keep on going. Not likely. It's going to keep on going. Until God, as we appeal to God, as he says through the prophet Isaiah, he said, I sought for a man. Again, this will make it generic, right? I sought for a man to stand in the gap, and there wasn't any. The call goes out here on a very regular basis for prayer. We need to stand in the gap yesterday. It advances every moment, this cancer. And we need to stand in the gap. And Isaiah hears from the Lord. He said, I sought for someone to stand in the gap, and I found none. And God marveled. We find it very rare when the Bible speaks about God himself marveling. We find it with Jesus. And he marveled at his faith as a centurion, as a Roman soldier, Roman leader, a Roman officer. While the rest of the religious people are saying, now what does the scripture say about that? What are you, you know, debating all this stuff. And here comes a Roman centurion. He says, I'm paraphrasing. I recognize you have power because I have power. I tell one soldier, go, and he goes, especially under the Roman code of military justice. And I tell another one, you come, and he comes. And I recognize that in you, Jesus of Nazareth. And my servant's at home, sick, dying. And Jesus said, I'll come to your house. A Jew going to a, a Roman's house, not only a Gentile, but a Roman. And he has so much faith, he says, you don't have to come all the long way. Just speak the word. And my servant shall be healed. <laughs> and Jesus says, I have not found so great faith. And I'm going to paraphrase it for you. I've not found it in the church. I've not found it among people who say, I'm, you know, the buttons and the bows and the bumper stickers. This man comes from outside and he says, you don't have to come. Just speak the word only. And my servant will be healed. And the Bible says his servant was healed in the same hour. Why? Because he's God. Because he's God come in the flesh. Wouldn't we love to see our Congress on their knees praying to God as we've seen in times past? The American Civil War is one example. As we've seen in times past, praying to God to intercede. The American Revolution is another example. There's plenty. The time when in the Marine Corps they gave out Bibles. They don't anymore. To every boot, every recruit that came in, you got a Bible. Not now. Now when you're sworn in, you don't even have to say in God. You can take out God's name. Because after all, it's all about you. We are disintegrating. The same thing that happened to Russia, all the other nations, Germany and England and all that. It's happening right in front of us right now. Because we have forgotten God. And we cannot forget God. In him we live, we move, and we have our life and our breathing. We cannot forget God. We're called to be saints. It's interesting, it truly is, when we look at the life of, well, she used to be known as Mother Teresa. Now she's Saint Teresa. And I don't think, I mean, I don't know on my part, I couldn't, and I don't think I've ever read anyone of any persuasion that has not recognized her great humanitarian works in Calcutta, India. However, right after her death and a series of letters she wrote over a period of decades to her confessor of her doubts about her salvation, of her doubts that even God existed, follows her right to the grave. I'm not making this up. You could buy the book. And why, you say, why did they release those letters? Well, in the mind of the one who put her up, promoted her for sainthood, thought that this was a good case. This is how we're going to see that this is a real saint. You see, in the minds of some, only those that are tormented are saints, which for those of us who are biblicists, or some say we worship a paper pope, well, maybe those are the kind of enemies we need to make. We worship a paper pope. We don't worship paper. We worship God who wrote a book. Amen. So that what we hear, I know I won't ever achieve the Nobel Prize as she did for humanitarian works. That's not likely for me. But I have assurance of whom I serve. She went right to her death. She even stopped praying. She was concerned that if anybody ever knew exactly what was going on inside her, again, her confessor knew that they would say, what a hypocrite. Now, those are her own words. Now, again, I'm not bashing Mother Teresa. She was a great humanitarian. But her beliefs were this, that there's God inside everybody. This doctrine doesn't square with Roman Catholicism or any form of true Christianity. That's what is known as universalism. God is in everything. God is everywhere. Not so much pantheism as much as it is universalism. That goes so far. Some universalists go so far as to say that even in the end, Satan will be saved. Everybody will be saved. 
That's not what the Bible, it's not what Jesus said. It's not what Jesus said, and we cannot forget Jesus. She was canonized as a saint in one article that I read in an unusually quick fashion where it mainly takes, you know, years and years and years. But for me, there's a tremendous amount of compassion that goes out for that woman who did such good things, such great works, but yet was tormented all of her life from the day she got in Calcutta. From the day she got in Calcutta, the spirit, her own words, left her. And there's something to be empathetic and compassionate about, I think, in her case. But that is not what God has in his people. And let me say this further. It doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Pastor Ray Barnett or Mother Teresa, no one can contradict Jesus. No one has been given the liberty to amend this Bible. It is what it is. In any case, in the church, we already know, and we've studied, there would be weeds among the wheat, I meant to say. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives a parable. Look down at verse 3 in Matthew chapter 13. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he had sowed some seeds, or when he had sowed, comma, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth shallow. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered the way. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some in a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. Very quickly, this is a parable of sowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we do, where we have no idea what type of ground is underneath here, the heart. We don't know. I don't know. Quickly. I've told you in the past, I used to have guest speakers. Now, most of the guest speakers that came or come are my friends. But I've had a couple that wanted me to sign a contract. They're going to get paid so much and do this. And one guy said, you know, where we had to pick them up and do all this stuff here. And as I got older and wiser, I never signed these contracts, by the way. I didn't have the people come. But my word to them is, yeah, fine. Then you're going to have to guarantee me 100 people saved. 50 of whom will join my church, and another 25 who will tithe. You sign the contract. What is this? What are we getting down to? Hirelings? And you want me to put you in my pulpit when you don't yourself trust God? Oh, I've gotten burned. I've gotten burned more than most preachers have ever gotten burned. But I put my trust in God, not in men, not in the best of men. Listen, we don't know where the seed is falling. We don't know who will and who will not be converted. But we do know this, that there is the power of the Holy Spirit that has promised us, God has promised us, that he will not depart from us. Now, I want to go back to Mother Teresa for just a second. Certainly a prolonged period of time with no presence of God, no joy. Read her letters, just buy the book, read it. But there is something called the dark night of the soul. Everybody who's truly welcome with the Lord knows that. It's like God has disappeared. You're praying and praying and praying and praying. And it's like God just left. Let me tell you something. I shared with you last week, you have no, no, no clue, no idea what goes behind this little presentation. Well, it's not little by today's standards. It's really long. <laughs> really long. Whatever. And last night, after hours and hours of studying... I truly felt a despair as I was going to bed. I see, I realized that no matter what I put down in my notes, and I don't really use much notes. It looks like I'm looking at notes and not really. I have a little skeleton outline sometimes and sometimes nothing. Scriptures, of course, I'm reading them. Quotations, but... And I felt a despair as I put away my thoughts for the day. Well, a lot of hours. And I just spoke to the Lord and I said, just nothing feels right. Just nothing is comfortable. God, if you don't do it... Nothing will get done. When I closed the book, I reminded myself, in confidence, God has always shown up for me here. He's always shown up. You see, we as human beings, we like that control. And I tell you this in all honesty. You know, I start out with series messages, and all of a sudden, I'm someplace else. Wednesday night, here in our study in Genesis, I spoke for, what, 45 minutes or more? No, an hour and 15 minutes. 
That gets really long. <laughs> and I never even read the first verse of Genesis chapter 4. You say, well, what a lousy teacher you are. That's your opinion. Because this preacher prays a lot. I don't pray. I pray a lot. And if all of a sudden I'm just not sensing that that's where we're supposed to be, and we're supposed to be over here, then that's where I go. So I ask you forgiveness in advance because I announce a title, and as I'm praying, I'm feeling a shifting, which I attribute not to me shifting because I'm a very one, two, three, four, five, very linear, very analytical. But when it comes to the preaching of the word, you must have total dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I shut my studying off late last night, that's what I felt. I felt the despair. You will never know. Most of you will never know the helplessness. A true preacher, which I just paid myself a compliment, didn't I? <laughs> feels behind the pulpit because you don't really know. Well, you know the scriptures, but Lord, where, you know, it's quo vadis domine. Where are you going, Lord? Where am I supposed to be? And you have to have a dependence on God in preaching moment by moment. I understand that people like the PowerPoint and the laser, and preachers now use um, teleprompters as they're reading their notes. Well, I'm not going to say they shouldn't do that. I'm only saying I won't. I will use the power of my intellect. I will use the power of my memory. I will use the power of years and decades of study. And I, most of all, will ask God to fill me with the power of his Holy Spirit so that what I'm saying, I'm on the right page at the right time to the right people. That's where we all need to be. Because if we push this, we can do it, we're Americans, things much further. God's going to show us a lesson we would care not to learn. Yeah, we forget we're dust. That's true. Jesus talks about tares in the wheat, weeds in wheat. I can't tell a tear from a piece of wheat, a stalk of wheat. The only thing I know is chicken comes from the frozen food section. Of the, the supermarket. That's all I know. And fishing, when it comes to fishing, I know where to get fish every single time. Right up there at Price Chapel. So why am I going to sit there for hours going, eh, eh. like Mark Twain says, fishing. He described fishing as a jerk on one end of the line and a jerk on the other. No, I'm not saying that. was Mark Twain. I didn't say it. I did not say it. I'm quoting Mark Twain. I know you like fishing. I'm just saying I'm a very poor fisherman. Maybe because I don't care. I already know where I can get fish if I have nothing in my line. Now I'll fish all day long and get one of these guys that I can put in my fish tank. And you know why? And this is the truth. That's my kids. I got books there teaching your children to fish. They didn't learn anything. Because while they went and put their poles in the water, you know what I was reading? The Bible. That's me. That's me. We are called to become saints. We're not going to be voted in. As a matter of fact, we may get voted out by man. But it's not man's vote that counts one way or the other. It's God's vote that counts. Don't walk away saying you're no saint. The Bible says you are if you're truly born of his spirit. And if you're born of his spirit, I'll start using the word saints. Because I was used to hearing it when I came up in the Lord. I was used to hearing it when my wife and I were first born again. Come with me to 2 Corinthians. Let's go there. Chapter 4. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. How many of you have periods where you really feel like you're going to faint? I mean, in the faith. Of course, the stress of life, too. Have you been there? I'm there so frequently, you have no idea how long, uh, how frequently I'm there. No strength left. I feel irritable. I'm frustrated. And why? Because I'm in a fight. I'm in a fight. And if you're in the fight, in the closet of prayer and so on, you're feeling the same thing. But we cannot and we must not faint. We must not be sleeping saints. Look at verse 2, 2 Corinthians 4. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Preachers today must renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. You mean it can be done that way? And not only can it be done, it's being done. And it's been done throughout history. Being done today in America. But he says, by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded 
the light to shine out of the darkness, Genesis 1, that's where we're at, theoretically at least on Wednesdays, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, just flesh and blood, given to us, called to be saints, the power of the Holy Spirit, and that can keep you thinking for the rest of your life. Imagine if, here's my little bottle of water, but imagine if this was the Holy Spirit, I mean the real Spirit of God. Can you imagine how much I could sell this for on television? Genuine Spirit of God water. Now you've seen these guys, right? They go to Israel, they pick up a little sand. I don't even think the sand comes from Israel. I'm certain it doesn't. It comes someplace from the Jersey Shore or Jones Beach on Long Island. And they say, this is magic, this is, a, no, miracle sand and miracle water. We don't bottle the Holy Spirit. He comes into you, he comes into me. And when he comes into you and to me, he emboldens us to be what we couldn't be without him. So when you try to witness and you're really, you know, you're genuine about it, which is a good thing. Remember that Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. When you're going out, you pray, God, lead me to talk to those that you would have me to talk to today. Not that you're refraining from anybody. But they're out there. He says in verse 7 that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. This is the Apostle Paul. Apostles are not supposed to speak like this. So somebody please take this out, amend it, cross it out, and send me the new revised version. A cancel Bible. But we have that too. We are troubled on every side. Christians don't have trouble. What's wrong with this man? Yet not distressed. We are perplexed. Well, he's got all the wisdom of the world. Not here, he said, but we're not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, which is necessary for this last part of the verse. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Amen. And that's the price. And God didn't say, I can change it for your sake or your sake. He didn't change it for my sake. I don't like it. I train people, as you know, in the gym. As a courtesy, I don't charge them anything. But when they start talking about strength, I said, you want strength? This is how we're going to get there. And we go slow. And then I say, after a couple of weeks of this, then this is what we're going to do if you really want to get strong. And if you want to be strong in the Lord, then your life, as John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. You know, and I, I really don't like that. If God had some form of spiritual steroid where you can get big spiritual muscles and flex them all the time and say, wow, he's spiritual. Wow, she's spiritual. But guess what? God doesn't have any spiritual steroids. He says, this is how we're going to do it. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. And as he increases, you will decrease. And you'll come to a place, as I do, so much, and last night was certainly one of them, where I have to say, quo vadis domine, where are you going, Lord, so I can follow you? I, forgive me? I can't concern myself that you promised us a series. This was the title. Go read a book. Make your own series. We must follow the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. I remember seeing an old-timer well, now I think about it, he's probably not much older than I am now. And he was preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This old codger, I mean, I didn't think he could barely move. Got up to the pulpit, he started. By the time he was spinning and he was jumping. And I said to myself, wow. Uh, it was amazing. It was amazing to see this older man. He was, he was old, my age old. Do what he was doing. And again, I said, that's what I want to be when I get older. That's what I want to be. We don't want to be sitting around pining away, wasting time when we don't have time to waste. The only thing we have is, what's your life? Your life is a vapor, you that are older. There's a few of you here. Have you ever sat down and said, wow, has the time gone fast? I, I've been calling up old friends. And I'm thinking like, hey, you know, here's a picture in high school, you know, just remember them the way they were. My mind has a tendency to always be thinking in present tense. I don't know how that works, but that's how my mind works. And to find out that I'm, when I'm talking to someone, you know, it's good to talk to old friends. It's been 50 years since I've seen them. I forget that not only have things changed in my life, things have changed in their life. It's still good to talk to old friends. 
I want to finish with this. It happened to me last night after my cry of despair to the Lord at the side of my bed, putting things away so I could tuck myself in. And I said to the Lord, as I just told you, God, I don't know. These notes don't even make sense to me. Help me, God. Then I went to sleep and I had a dream. This is last night. That I was at the funeral of Jesus. It's all types of people. It was on the mountain. A lot of details. I'll skip them. But everybody at the funeral was waiting because they knew Jesus was going to rise up again. There was a crowd of all kinds of people. Some of the faces I recognized. Some of the faces were of people who are notable here in our country. Not preachers. I assume they may have been there too. We're all at the funeral of Jesus in this little small coffin. I'll explain that in just a second what I believe God is saying. It's a little small coffin, and Jesus was dead. But everyone was standing because we all knew he was coming up out of the coffin. And I went around in the crowd, and I was talking to people, and everybody was just looking, and they were just watching. Not many people were talking at all. Few. Why a small coffin? Because Jesus said, straight is the gate, and narrow is the path that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. I didn't say that. Jesus did. Symbolic, as we have in dreams. But then it came time for the coffin to be opened up. And in the dream, my actual literal biological father, who, again, in my understanding of the dream, was a representation of our heavenly father, brought me ahead of all the crowd and opened up the coffin. And then the dream ended as Jesus is alive. What does it mean? Not just a dream for me, but for all of us. Your labor has not been neglected or forgotten by God. We are waiting right now, not for the resurrected Jesus. He's already resurrected. We're waiting for the return of Jesus. Because we see the signs. And certainly I'm not going to be the first in line skipping all the crowds. But the Heavenly Father is going to show us face to face. The Jesus we sang about this morning and the Sunday before that. And the next Sunday presumably that we're here. We're going to see it. And in that day we will be able to know what it means. When the Apostle Paul wrote. I am persuaded that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy Not even worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, touch our nation that has forgotten you. Touch the church and the preachers that have neglected you and come up with their own plan. When God said, Jesus said to the apostles, now listen, you know a lot about me, but don't you leave Jerusalem until you are endued, endued with power from on high. Otherwise, it'll all fall to the ground. That's why things from the pulpit are falling to the ground today. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God. We need the power of Christ. Christ in us. The hope of glory. I'm going to leave you with one last thing. We had our board annual business meeting yesterday with the elders. I told them what's in my heart. Here in the foothills of the mountains of eternal darkness. I said, you know, I think it's going to be time soon. We're going to need a new building. We're going to need one that's big because they're coming. Some of you, I, I told you, I admire you. You travel such long distances to get here. I know people that won't roll down the hill to get here. But people are coming for an hour and an hour plus. United States Marines sitting here for over 20-something years traveling in his truck. And there's others coming from all over now. And what I expect and anticipate, and I speak by faith, that this building will no longer contain this. And I'll tell you what, I'm not even happy about that. I've been in four building projects since I went into the ministry. I'm not looking forward to another one. But I'm asking you, as you're out there and you pray, God, where are we going to go? Because he's going to bring them in. He's not going to bring them in. He's bringing them in. He's going to bring 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 them in. And this is the truth. Where's that little church uh, you built and bought for me some years ago? It's still there. I have not forgot that. And now I see the time is coming. Time for truth has run out. We've already run out of room. Now, Lord, quo vadis domine. Where are you going? Where will you have us go? Will you pray with me? And start praying. In many countries overseas, they take a piece of wood, a stick, and they stick it in the ground. They say, we claim it for Jesus. Don't do that on private property here. (laughs) That's what they do. But I want you to pray with me. As God brings in the harvest. As God brings in the souls. They're going to be coming. They are already coming from all over. But there'll be more, and there'll be more, and there'll be more. Don't be a sleeping saint. Stay on your guard. Because your country, your church, your family, your children, your grandchildren, and so on, are counting on you to be at your post. Be what you're supposed to be. Let's pray.
Father, we bless you and we praise you and thank you this morning. Great, I said today, has been the scripture in my mind. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. We give you all of the praise. We give you all of the honor. We give you all of the glory, O oh God. Now, Lord, I ask you, not only for time for truth, but I know all over the country and all over the world there are churches that are living for you and dedicated to you and they're tired and their faces are careworn because of the labor and the toil. Revive your church. Revive the preaching of the word. Revive your church and send us a reformation. Clear out of the way all of the junk and bring to us the real thing. Heal the sick. Deliver the oppressed. Let evil come out of people. Pour yourself in. Oh, God, we need you, and we cannot afford to forget you as other countries have. Oh, God, visit us. Pour out your spirit, God. Upon everyone here today, only you know what's in their hearts. Only you know who's crying out, here, my Lord, send me. And only you know what ministry you have for the future for them. I only know what my gifts and talents are. God, pour out your spirit. Pour yourself out. That we may see that what is coming in the short run is bad. But in the long run is exceptionally good. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. Even as it is done in heaven. One more time. Can you give the Lord some praise and thanksgiving? We bless your name, O God. We bless you. Bless you, God. Bless you. Hallelujah. 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 Another week goes by, and we mar- I mark time by Sundays. That much closer to when we drop this tent off our bodies and see you face to face. Help this church here and everyone watching, has watched, or listening by way of radio to count the days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom and to know what to do. Cause us, God, this week to remember to love you with everything we have. All the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength. And then, God, also, that men may know that we are your disciples, our love to each other. And we will give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. In Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen with me this morning? Amen. Amen. Amen.